three, two, and one. Welcome to Bamsey's Humanity First podcast. I am Chris Ryan, along with uh, Peter Evers, and here on this week's edition of uh, the podcast, we're going to get deep into numbers and talk a little bit in the open about the circumstances surrounding the American Rescue Plan, which has passed Congress, and also uh, Joe Biden's American Jobs Plan, and how that may benefit uh, Bamsey and organizations of the like. We're going to welcome David Simmons, just a moment, who is the new CFO of Bamsey as well. But first, we welcome the CEO, Peter Evers. Peter, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Chris. How are you doing? I am well. And we've heard a lot about this significant legislation, the amount of dollars being spent in Washington, D.C., most recently with the American Rescue Plan, the stimulus package, and now what's being debated in the infrastructure bill, which is the American Jobs Plan. And Pete Buttigieg, the Transportation Secretary, said that uh, Biden hopes to have this passed by Memorial Day, but includes more than just your traditional aspects of infrastructure. So two pieces on that. How do we feel that this is going to benefit BAMSI directly and organizations like BAMSI, but also how is it going to benefit uh, the individuals that BAMSI serves, our clients, um, and you know, some of the different aspects of relief and also infrastructure. So look at it from those, those two perspectives, and we'll welcome in David in just a moment. But on those two plans, how does it help BAMSI and organizations like us and nonprofits, uh, A, and how does it help the individuals that we serve, uh, B? That's a very big question, Chris, and it's one that's taking a lot of uh, sort of insight from our trade associations and folks that are pay- paying attention. Obviously, it's an awful lot of money. I think when I last checked, we were looking at um, 70-something billion coming into Massachusetts, something in that region, 70, 79. So that is a lot of money. Um, of course, there are a lot of requests for responses that are coming out from the government right now, asking people how it should be spent, uh, requests for information as well. Uh, I have a few ideas how that could be spent, uh, and you know that really goes to a lot of the recognition of the essential workers that have been really holding up this country in terms of making sure that people are getting cared for over the past year. Uh, but the infrastructure question is interesting as well. The double-edged sword one for me is the is the unemployment benefits, um, mm-hmm. which um, are good, and it's absolutely es- essential that people get uh, money when they can't work. It actually makes it a little bit difficult for us sometimes with uh, additional payments that people are getting, uh, which can be problematic. But for me, the positive is that we're getting um, some money. If the money comes down the line for agencies like ours, we will be advocating for day day services, day Mm -hmm. rehabilitation services, which really have been hit terribly hard. We've had this constraint on this on we've had this constraint on the space that we use which really allows us to, has forced us to reduce our capacity um, and therefore we can't bill in the way we have. We've had some support for that uh, over the past year, but that support is running out. And my, um, my advocacy and the advocacy of the trade associations really is to focus on one of the big losers for us, which has been the inability to bill for those day services, get those people back as soon as we can and let's support uh, day have services as we go forward. On that, what's been the the financial outlook as a result of that? How debilitating has it been? And do you see a solution in the in the short term uh, on that that would make sense? Yeah, well, they, I think there's again there's we have been supported. There's no question about that by the state, and I've said on this podcast a few times that the state has stepped up 
but those funds have been dwindling over time with the expectation that we'd be able to provide that service. Uh, but we just haven't because mm-hmm. the constraints of capacity still push against mm-hmm. us. Not only that, Chris, but the, the constraints of transporting people. Mm-hmm. We have 15-seater vans that we can only have four people in. So it, it, it's very difficult to get the people there. And when they get there, they've got to have the, uh, the six-feet uh, <coughs> space. So um, that's been difficult. We've been supported. It's dwindling. We're asking for more until we get to the point where we can actually bring those people back. And the, the last question about that is, do those people want to come? back Chris are those are the families and loved ones feeling that we are safe this is a safe enough situation for them to come back and every family will have a different opinion about that but the state has limited your ability via the protocols and regulations to do the type of work and receive the type of funding that you would for doing that work so it would make sense that they would then reimburse um, but there's a there's time period out or was there a certain pot of money how does that how does that work that it why is it dwindling well that pot of money was well if you think about it when the beginning which was april of last year we got a certain amount and then it and then it's been sort of um it it's been reduced over time and it will finish as we know at the moment at the end of the fiscal year and for that is is june 30th so we are hoping that as we move into the fiscal year 22 some of that uh, assistance will be restored. And I see some of that federal, federal money coming down from Washington as assistance in that regard. Because, you know, the state still has to balance their budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really are going to be relying, I think, on some federal assistance for that. So bring in uh, David Simmons, the new uh, chief financial officer here at, uh, at BAMS. We want to get into your bio and talk a little about that as well. But let's start with um, kind of the meat of the conversation and... You know, how you see uh, things playing uh, with those two uh, federal pieces of legislation, how that helps BAMSI um, and organizations like ours and also our persons serve population. Then we'll get into some of the other aspects that Peter is talking about in regards to unemployment and how that's affecting our workforce with the additional benefits there and also um, you know, state funds and how money's coming into the state coffers may get distributed. So we'll start with just your upshot on the legislation and how that affects <coughs> us and our person serve. Um, well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, and welcome, David. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, from a stimulus package perspective, it's just putting money in the hands of everybody, our workers, mm-hmm. most definitely, because they are definitely the folks who the money is targeted to. Um, and obviously also to all of our clients. And, and no matter what their particular income stream is based on, they're all usually going to qualify for all of that. That's just going to put a plate of money on for people to try and take care of basic needs, and it helps everybody out a little bit at that point. Beyond that, um, you know, jobs potential and dollars coming down in the future and getting passed and passed through, as Peter was alluding to, it's only... Um, next fiscal year type of a situation. Mm. So the hit that the agency has currently taken, and all agencies have taken, is not going to get better between now and and the end of June. And so the best that we can do is keep lobbying and keep working to try and get the holes in the system that exist identified and accepted and having funds be put back into that particular area to try and build us back up to give us a solid base again. Because without that solid base, 
and we have to change everything that we're doing and the manner in which we're doing it and the people that we're serving. And there's a huge market of people who aren't being served at all mm-hmm. right now because of this. You know, Peter was talking about the square footage situation. Well, what ends up happening with that is that we have not been able to bring people into the buildings, yet we still have the same cost that we're right. trying to cover for that. And there's no, while there are outs technically, there's no good out that you can try to negotiate and have a good relationship with a landlord. Mm-hmm. We don't get an option of not paying back the bank if it's a building that we own and operate in. Um, so those those costs are there. You know, the van situation we was talking about, these are all costs that are sunk and part of the equation. And all of that infrastructure was put to place for us based upon operating 120 different locations mm-hmm. in a variety of different ways and trying to do that work. So... Um, you know, right now that's all been down, 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 and that takes you from a position of being a healthy agency um, with the strength to be able to look for new services and to grow mm-hmm. the population and serve more people to being somebody who is, all right, we're in this, we're locked in this, we need to manage it to the best of our ability to stay strong until such point in time as the, the funds filter back through or these restrictions get lifted so that you can have business as usual again. And then build from there. Yeah, I mean, I think, well said, David. I, I, I do think that the agency has really taken advantage of all of the supports that have been in place. And I will say that the, uh, the next round of the payroll protection program uh, we have made an application for. And actually, we are eligible for that, in which case we weren't a year ago because it was a, a smaller size mm-hmm. uh, agency. So that will help as well. But really, you know, we've been in survival mode for the last uh, year, both in terms of protecting our person serves and our staff against this pandemic, but making sure there's an agency for us to go back to uh, when the uh, when the pandemic is under control. I think we've done a really good job of that. And again, we've taken advantage of some of the stimulus and some of the uh, supplemental uh, monies that have come our, our way. But you can't let your guard down for a minute about, again, about this. And I think one of the things is, David, we'll get into this in a minute, is that working in the human service field, the rates that we get are never adequate. They're always near the margins <coughs> for us. So you can only imagine when we go into a situation like this that it does put us in some financial difficulty. We've ridden that wave. There's more waves to come. Uh, but we need to continue to advocate for the people who are doing the work to get a reasonable uh, hourly rate so that they don't have to work two and three jobs. And that, let's, not lose, uh, let, let's not lose track of that because that's the intermediate and long-term goal of this agency to advocate for rates that pay a fair wage. So going back to how the situation gets, uh, gets solved in regards to stimulus funds, the money will come and the American Rescue Plan, which was the stimulus, uh, will come into the state of Massachusetts. And then uh, Massachusetts will make a decision as to how those funds are allocated. But there's going to be a long time period before they make that decision. To my knowledge, there's a two-year time frame where um, states can make decisions about the money that comes into uh, their state. Here in Massachusetts, it was $70 billion, I think was the, the number. Uh, New Hampshire is just short of a billion based upon the, uh, uh, the population. Um, but then the state is going to make a decision as to how they spend that money. Is it going to be on traditional physical infrastructure? Is it going to be reimbursing hospitals and programs like this? So 
that money isn't even guaranteed to come in to, um, to help these types of, uh, of programs, correct? That's correct, yeah. We have to advocate for it. And so we are a member of uh, the ADDP, and they are a member of ANCOR, which is the national um, body, uh, and they are advocating for that. And, and so, but basically, there are a lot of people um, <laughs> at the table saying, we need help, and every one of them absolutely does need help after an hour, after a year like this. So our job is to really be laser-like in focus about how can, we, how can this money help us best. We have been hit hardest in our day services. And our residential services, we're still negotiating those, um, those rates. Uh, hopefully we'll be okay with that. But we really need to focus as a, as, as, a, as a system on supporting day hab services because they're so vital to providing care to people during the day for our residential programs. And I think that's the best way to do it. There's no point in being sort of scattershot about this and say, well, give us something for this, something for that. I think if we focus on one of those programs in, in, the, in the most need, then we'll succeed. And, you know, David, you alluded to uh, some of the rents that we pay. Uh, they're massive, right? And, and we need to be able to sustain that so we'll have a building that we can go back into. And a building that we can then have to make sure we certify and make it safe for people to come back into. So they want to come back right. into it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's really about it's stabilizing the base again getting people back to what that norm will be then gives us the opportunity to try and fix and look for other services that we're going to try and deal with go out in the future. But, you know, I think we haven't talked yet really about, you know, the, the employee shortage out of this as well, the nursing shortage that exists, um, because it's in such high demand, obviously, in so many places. Um, but a lot of the work that we do has a very heavy nursing component, and the rates that we're granted in our present working situation through the Commonwealth contracts is not really sufficient to cover the bulk mm-hmm. of the cost. If you think about the way that things filter down, the taking mm-hmm. averages of everything, and you know, to get a nurse that can do certain work at our end with a master's and so on and so forth to fill contractual needs that they make in the programs, you have to pay them for what it is mm-hmm. that the market bears that they can be paid. And that's not what you're getting reimbursed for. Mm-hmm. So you're behind the eight ball before you begin. So it takes the entire plethora of, of programs that we do and all the different natures of services that we provide. Mm-hmm. Some have the potential to earn you some money. Others are never going to earn you money, but they're still very necessary services that have to be done. And that balance has to be in place. And it's just been completely obliterated by the fact that from the DAHAB perspective, having to close those facilities or open them only on a very limited basis to certain percentage of the population, that was providing a very solid base for the agency to do everything else and all the other good work that mm-hmm. needs to be done. And we haven't stopped doing any of it because that would be the wrong way to go. But that's what part of these packages are for, this new round of PPP funds. You know, we weren't eligible for those the first time because we were too big. Other agencies that are running at, you know, below that was the 500 uh, employee base, 500 FTEs, were able to go out and to obtain support for their services right during the heart of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So that if they kept employees on, they would have the ability to pay them if the state didn't come through with other money for them to support them. Mm-hmm. And so we, as an agency, were able to do that. We were able to have to force to go in and say, all right, we basically have to spend our savings and our goodwill and our earnings over 40 years in business 
and start to spend that down to continue the agency to provide at the number of services at the level that we've been used to and being asked to on a, on a daily basis. So it's, you know, it's a very challenging situation to manage that and keep going. But ultimately, you can only go so far so long, and you have to then start making some very difficult decisions, which, you know, we're actually optimistic at the moment, the way, the way we're looking and feeling in terms of that we can solidify the base. We can survive and hang on long enough for things to begin to settle, for new funds to make themselves available, and then to go and position ourselves to go forward mm. in whatever the new norm is going to be. And it's not going to be at all what it would used to be like. I think this, this whole telehealth component mm-hmm. to everything that we do is never going to go away now. It's yeah, become yeah. very, very easy and it's very popular for yep. people to try. They want to stay home and yep. do work and they can make and you can make it work. You can yep. manage it that way. Um so I think it, a number of barriers to access have been broken down as a result of the telehealth, particularly in They all have. Yeah, particularly in a highly congested area like this where it can take some time to get from one place to the other. There can be challenges with uh, transportation and vehicles and a lot of those have been broken down in the telehealth environment. So we're going to transition to a broader conversation about what the future looks like, but just for this point in time on you know the essential workers, and you know it seems like everybody has gotten taken care of in regards to the stimulus funds, except for you know the essential workers. Um, and what is your feeling, Peter? And then we'll transition into a little more uh, futuristic type of discussion and talk about David's background as well. Um, what is your rationale for why the essential worker, the those who have been you know in the quote unquote combat of this what's been described as a war, um, those individuals who are nurses, medical workers, um, you know even those who stock shelves at supermarkets or work the cash registers, um, those folks have been on the front lines of the course of this pandemic and are viewed as being the heroes of the pandemic, but there has not been any heroes pay for those folks. No, and I think, you know, one of the things that I hear from the field is that, you know, there's people are tired. Uh, you know, when you think about the, the hours that people have been putting in, you know, immediately when we came into this pandemic, we knew that we couldn't close down. We couldn't, we couldn't just, you know, mothball everything and say everybody would work at home. And those people, those heroes uh, absolutely, absolutely brought us through. We've been able uh, during uh, the last year to make some of those payments to people. And I just want to say it is not enough for the heroic, heroic work that people did. We have tried to recognize people, um, and, and I want to recognize them again because they're still doing it day and night, and we're still not out of this, of this uh, problem. But I do think you know, there's a lot of talk about hero pay. Uh, being carved out uh, from the money that's coming from the feds just because of that, because we can't pass up on this opportunity. And Chris, I know you're going to be bored by this because I say it every time. We can't pass up on an opportunity to to make noise about essential workers and what they should be paid now. If it isn't going to be now, when is it going to be? Mm-hmm. The, the, these people on their backs have brought this country through this crisis. Uh, and maybe it begins with heroes pay and you know maybe that's one off but then the advocacy is these rates has to support the work that people are doing at the coalface uh, of humanity here which is is what we're dealing with which is a huge hill to climb because 
they they never have. Right. The rates never have taken the reality of situations completely into account. And it's not that many, many smart people haven't sat in a room and tried to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just the the advocacy for what services are and are not. Some are very, very good at it and really push, and, and it's a easily recognized thing by people who are making decisions on where mm-hmm. funds are going to go to, and other services people don't really understand, or they might even be afraid of, of what they are, and, don't, and, they never, and, they, and so they, they don't really hear you when you're talking to them about what it is we're trying to do. And so I'll be, you know, it would be a wonderful thing if they actually did find a way to put that out there from a hero pay perspective, but who do you call the heroes? I mean, who in the end? I mean, I'm not one. Okay, I'm I'm support, and I'm and I'm I'm trying to make sure that we as as an agency here mm-hmm. and every other place that I've been in my life have the resources to do mm-hmm. what we're supposed to do, be it in a hospital setting, a nursing home, assisted living, any sort of a behavioral health, and all all of the facilities of residence that we're managing here at Bamsey, mm-hmm. and those people day in and day out. When you think about it. You said they're right there. Mm-hmm. That is the line. Yeah. And someone comes down and they're ill, and then all of a sudden, all of these people are having to leave their families and stay where they are, simply because of all of the protocols that are out there, and to take the right precautions to help people. Mm-hmm. How can you not find a way to compensate for that? And as an agency, we can try to do certain things, but you know, we're always measuring. Okay, if we go and we do this. Mm-hmm. How long can we sustain that for? Yeah. And it's not sustainable forever. And, it, and you need to have some support or you need to have rate relief, one of the two. I think you both have defined why it hasn't happened in that there is not any clear definition of what an essential worker is, nope. right? Uh, and, you know, is it the firefighters and the police officers who've gone into work? Is it the radio talk show host that went in every day during the course of the pandemic? <laughs> no, it isn't. But, like, I'm, I'm saying that I could make that claim. Kudos to you. Yeah, appreciate well, that. But they're putting um, good information out there. Right, you know? right. So are we essential workers? Because we're, I guess you could say that we are. But that's the problem is that essential worker is a very broad scope. I mean, to me, again, I define the two groups that I thought of the most, but I'm sure we could all add in other people. Um, I think of the medical workers and I think of the people that worked at the grocery stores during the pandemic. And we learned about human value. And that was the impetus. I mean, if there was going to be a moment where it changed, in my view, it was in those first three months where the millionaires all stayed at home and the hourly workers went to work in in order to get the country to... But nothing, you know, nothing changed in regards to pay at that point, even though we understood that, you know, the person stocking the shelves at the market basket probably was more valuable at that point in time than J.D. Martinez, uh, the Red Sox, D.H., right? Um, so <laughs> but value the, is plummeting right, as we speak. But nothing changed, but nothing changed in terms of that, that dynamic of worth, meaning, you know, skill, ability to command dollars versus what that person right actually does that allows for America to work. Um, and so that, that, that I, th- I think, unfortunately, that, that time has kind of come and, and gone. Um, oh. But it, it's still, yeah. there still is some impetus, but I think that that was the moment yeah. right then. But, but, but 
that doesn't mean we we back off that. No, and, I completely and, agree. And I think there's another layer of that, and there is, and that is uh, the racial and social justice issue. Mm-hmm. So many of the people that work in our, uh, the essential workers, the heroes, are people of color, mm-hmm. uh, and they have been disproportionately affected by this pandemic in almost every mm-hmm. regard. We had George Floyd's murder last summer, mm-hmm. which created an emphasis in this country and conversations and. Uh, we've been having a lot of conversations at BAMSI as well around equity, which I think is great. We need to pile on with that because that's another aspect of inequity that exists in this in, in this workforce. Uh, and I think if you if you add that to the heroics of the last year and this moment in our country's time that is saying, wait a minute, there is a conversation that has to be had. Uh, around these racial and social inequities. I'm, I'm not giving up. I know you're not either, but but there's much more to be done on that. You're right. No, I mean, the work has to, to continue, and we can continue to make the case. But I think that, you know, there needs to be um, you know, a kind of a clear definition of you know, what the essential worker is. And, you know, we, the, the time, the time to, you know, to see a change was really in that Trump era first st- stimulus and during that time period, um, I feel like there's a little bit less momentum, um, but I do feel that it's a worthy cause, and it's uh, it's something that needs to get picked up, and we do need to be strong advocates. Um, but you know, the uh, the time is is dwindling um, at this point. So let's transition into you know the future for uh, for Bamsey, David, and your thoughts about um, diversifying revenue and how um, BAMSI goes about positioning itself for the future, because there is tremendous opportunity in a lot of the forced adoption that's taken place. And some of the changes in the future are going to be as a result of what's still to come from the state and so forth. Um, But we do have some ability to to dictate what that future looks like. And what what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think as we've alluded to early on is our first order of business, but not only working on that, but one of the first things we need to accomplish, we need to stabilize that base for what we have. We need to be able to try and get back close to where we were before and what we were trying to serve. And then, at the same time, it's happening already here at Bansy. We're going out and we're looking every single day for the next avenue of what type of services are not being fulfilled by the system presently for the population that we serve, and quite possibly even for populations we right now don't serve, that we might be positioned to try and do work in. And that's always been part of what a healthy agency's growth plan has to be. Either you're going to do, you keep what you have and you're nice and stable with it, you might do more of that unless you have a footprint constriction, right? Or... You turn around and you look for, okay, this is this is the area that we're working with. These are the people that we're working with. What are the problems that we see happen every day in trying to deliver our services that are whole that something's not being addressed? Mm-hmm. Can we fight and find a way to focus and put together a program that's going to target that, that's going to be accepted and recognized uh, as, an, as an issue that does, in fact, need to be addressed? For example, transitional age um, people. 18 to 22, 25 now? 22. But that's the entire population that has nowhere to go when they technically age out of the system. Mm -hmm. 
So what do you do? You just let everybody go and walk the streets and here you go, start again, congratulations. You can't do that. We have to be able to continue to provide support for people in an area that hasn't been funded in the past. And so we're engaged in some areas right now trying to think about that. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, that's the bigger growth plan and the, and the larger market. Trying to do some things that we don't do now that the population definitely needs. Because we already know how to do what we're doing. We've done it well for a long time, and we'll get back to doing that again. But then you want to be able to build on that into different areas. And then there's always different ways that you can look at the things that you do if you have an expertise with things. You can find a way to try and market those and to help everybody, help other places who don't do certain things mm-hmm. well. And so that's another market that, that exists out there. So, you know, we're poised. We're spread around enough into certain areas where we, we, we can remain healthy, but we do need to diversify into some different areas and different populations. And so that has to be part of the master plan and part of the strategic plan to spread out and to go in a slightly different direction than we have been historically. Not abandoning what we're doing behind us, Mm -hmm. strengthening it, but also then continuing to strengthen it by doing other services. And that really helps the population. Yeah, and I think it fits, David, as well with the way we're shifting to think about the kind of people that we work with. And what I mean by that is that we've been very sort of disease or condition-specific over the last 100 years in in how we deliver health care. We're moving closer and closer to realizing that whole person treatment, this idea of integrating all of our services, will be, I think, the buzzword, if you like, for the next probably 25 years. Because that's how you bend the cost curve of healthcare, but it's how you deliver good services. And I think, you know, as you were talking, David, I thought, you know, one of those services that we that that is right in front of us that we need to pay more attention to is substance use disorder. We haven't really uh, dedicated ourselves. I will say that the. Um, uh, the Coke program, for instance, has dedicated itself, and, the, and Jesse Peck and the people who are doing that work are, is amazing. We need to expand that. We need to walk into that area uh, or, you know, work with other people to provide it so that we're integrating those health. You, you know, s- they, 70% of people who have serious and persistent mental illness also have an addiction issue. So we have to do it. So it's just moving into those spaces, I think, that we, that, uh, and those gaps that we have. Yeah, I think that that's, those are all really good points. And uh, David, you excited about this opportunity? Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to death. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've had a what I consider to be a rather interesting career, mm-hmm. moving between hospitals and nursing homes and assisted livings, uh, specialty hospitals, behavioral health and, and kid services. So it's, you know, coming home to Bamsey for me, and that's the way I feel about it in the short term that I've been here, mm-hmm. is that... It just feels really good to be someplace where we're trying to do a lot of great work, but we're not satisfied with what we're doing anywhere. We're trying to do it better. We're trying to find a way to make it so that it you know, can be self-sustaining, and then we're looking for all these new services to try and get into. So I'm extremely excited about the opportunity because it is a, it's a significant professional challenge to come in and look at a situation in an agency and, you know, try to be of value, to try to come mm-hmm. in and do exactly what I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Is that my job is, first and foremost, to make sure that we have the resources to continue. And that basically means getting paid for what we do and then taking care of all the people who are doing the work. Because if you, I mean, just 
It's a vicious circle, I guess, when you want to think about it. If you don't, how are you going to be able to sustain and continue to serve people mm-hmm. if you're not taking care of your own people who are doing the work? And that's a hard thing to do, too, especially when the funds are drying up and challenged on you. Um, so, you know, I think that we have a great foundation put together. We've mm-hmm. got some great ideas kicking around, and, and the, the plan to try and move us forward is strong. And I'm happy to be a part of it. In fact, I'm, I'm working hard to catch up, to tell you the truth, because we're running fast here at Bantry all well, the time. And, and we're very happy to have you, David. I mean, I think what stood, stood out in the interview process, and there was a great uh, field of candidates, of course, uh, but what stood out was that passion. What stood out was that knowledge of our contracts and, and of our third-party billing. And it is such a truism to say, begin by collecting the money you're owed. Uh, and, you, and that's a really good foundation for going forward. So we're really glad that you're here. Well, I, I, could, I couldn't be happy. You know, you know, I learn more every day, and it's going to take a little bit of time, but we're going to get there. And we're going to, we're going to come out of this stronger than I think than when we went into it. But we'll definitely have to because it's such a, there's a passion and the vision that, that exists right now that, that Peter is, is the anchor of and the, the steerer of the ship. So it's, it's going to be a nice challenge, and it's going to, but it's going to benefit. It's going to benefit all, and more importantly, that's going to benefit a population of people that we're already servicing, and then people who we're not servicing who need it, and that's what really matters. That's where the funds have to go, and so. Well, that's great, and uh, very excited to uh, be working with you, and uh, looking forward to uh, continuing that, and appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, that is David Simmons. He is the new Chief Financial Officer here at Bamsey, along with CEO Peter Evers. I am Chris Ryan. This has been another edition of the Bamsey Humanity First podcast.